1: I love a busy studio and we've got not one but two guests with us for the next hour. We've got Rhea and Nikita Patel. They are this is the co-founders of the Bureau's co-working space in Gold Diamond Park that is marking a year. Congratulations. Happy birthday, guys. How are you? Thank, Thank you so much. And happy new year. I know. I, I don't know when we stop saying that. I think we've got another week. Yeah, that's fine. We'll go with that. Um, but happy birthday is more important because... Um, this has been such a wonderful addition to the city for so many people for both business and, and personal reasons. And we're going to unpack a little bit about the history of the Bureau, but also on hand today to help out anyone who's maybe looking to start their own business. We can talk community, co-working. Um, so you guys grew up here. So I'd love to start with that, rear if you don't mind. Um, growing up in a city like Dubai, were your parents entrepreneurial? And why, did, why and when did you think, actually... I think i quite like to start my own business.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Helen, for having us today. We're super excited to be here. Uh, we really joke that when we grew up in Dubai, you really do grow up with the city. Uh, so that was really amazing. Um, when our grandfather moved here, it was before... Um, The UAE actually existed and kind of the Emirates formed into one. So our family has been here a while. Uh, Me and my sister were educated here at Dubai College. Just around the corner. Exactly, exactly. So we really have been in Dubai for essentially the last 30, 35 years, which Mm -hmm. has been amazing. And in
1: terms of growing up, it in an entrepreneurial family because I feel like if you do your eyes are open to the idea of possibility whereas if your parents grow up and they've got that nine to five that becomes your model so what was it in in the Patel household?
3: I think um, for us, so we're definitely third generation um, entrepreneurs. So our grandfather is Touchwood, still very active in our, in the wow. family businesses. Our fathers and um, Ria and I are the fir- are the third generation of the business and the only generation of uh, women in the business. So yeah. um, that's <laughs> been challenging, but also exciting at the same time. So we always heard, you know, in, in uh, dinner table conversations about uh, business, about you know um, starting from you know starting new ventures all the time. So I think from a very young age, this is something that was, you know, kind of drilled into us. Yeah, it just felt like <laughs>
1: everything was a possibility, which yeah, I think is, is really crucial. Definitely. And then you get to this idea of, okay, well, well, let's see what the city needs. Let's see what problem we can solve for other people. And, you know, co-working, we've seen a huge, huge explosion in the freelance visas becoming more easily available, people kind of leaning into that gig kind of mentality rather than that kind of nine to six. So tell us Ria if you don't mind about the idea the inspiration behind the Bureau. Where did you identify this gap?
2: Yeah absolutely so uh, me and Nikki both have different journeys to the Bureau so we can both get into it Uh, but essentially I think our aha moment was during COVID Uh, and funnily enough in our our dining room at home and that's the first time me and Nikki uh, were living together and working together in the same space Um, and we just realized between us two sisters we have such different working styles i like a bit of white noise uh, nikki likes complete silence um, we just both had different preferences um, and so then we just had the idea like if there's so many differences between us two what about other people mm. with kids or pets or husbands and wives um, so that's kind of where the journey really started
3: and i was actually um living in boston just before covid and um, I was working from a few different co-working spaces and I was just amazed to see um, there were a few female focused co-working spaces that we um, you know were, that I attended as well and I just thought that you know I think this would do really well um, in Dubai but back then before COVID remote or hybrid work was almost non-existent um, so then you know post COVID when kind of work styles shifted because some companies went totally remote some companies kind of had a more hybrid approach we've visited a lot of different co-working spaces all over the city and there are some wonderful ones but there were we felt like there wasn't something that we were particularly excited to go back to whether (laughs) it was like you know having that community whether it was the design a more like comfortable space Mm -hmm. and so that's when we kind of felt that okay we feel like there is you know a need for something a bit
1: different i think there's what you've kind of summed up there i think so lovely is um So many companies said for the longest time that you need to be, you know, bums on seat in your office. And then, of course, COVID hits. They go, well, actually, we do have deadlines and targets. So you're going to have to work from home. And for some people, that worked great. Some people really thrived. We're going to be speaking to a chiropractor later. I'm sure he's got some stories about some terrible posture for people sitting on their sofas. (laughs) But for some people, working from home is actually really demotivating. You know, you haven't got that people connection. I was a freelancer for a long time. And sometimes it worked and sometimes I felt like I was climbing up the walls but I think you're absolutely right in terms of making it I don't want to say an aspirational space because I think the Bureau is is really inclusive and accessible but somewhere that feels like a third space you know where I want to be here, there is a real benefit to being here. And, and what you've ended up creating is something that has really, as I said, kind of enriched so many people's lives. It's one thing to identify a gap. It's another thing to like, okay, well, we're actually going to do this. I think that's, you know, inc- you know, really, really impressive. How on earth, Rhea, did you start to even look for a location? Because how big is the space and what were your criteria initially?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it really has been a journey from validating the concept to finding the space to actually, like you said, executing. Um, I think it has been the biggest challenge, but also one of the most exciting journeys we've been on. So um, once we started validating the concept and conducting focus groups and uh, realized that other people in Dubai really want this, Mm -hmm. um, especially a lot of uh, working moms, working women, uh, we then went out and decided to try to look for a space. Um, So the bureau is essentially 10,000 square feet uh, of private offices. We have meeting rooms, we have phone booths, we have co-working pods, really any kind of workspace we really do have. Um, And then we also have what we call personal spaces. So we have uh, a nursing room for new moms, we have a workout studio, um, an event space. So really a plethora um, of spaces that we offer.
1: Can you remember, Nikki, how many places you looked at before finding the one in Golden Diamond Park? Oh, hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> hundreds of
2: spaces.
3: But the thing is, we were very particular in what we wanted. That's mm. why. So, number one is we wanted a space that was very easily accessible. We didn't want people to be flustered by the time they reached the yeah. space. So, for us, it was really important to have a ground floor unit somewhere. That was number one. Number two, we wanted a lot of natural light. So, it's, research has shown that a lot of natural light control uh, Contributes to not only productivity but also overall happiness in your workspace. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third was we wanted it to be in an area where there was already a lot of footfall, so we're in Golden Diamond Park. So you know we always have the community coming in for coffee, having events in our space. So it really does feel like a community space.
1: Joined this afternoon by Rhea and Nikita Patel. They are the sisters, co founders of the Bureau co working space, which is marking a year. Um, we're going to be talking next about that rise in freelance, uh, the lonely life of the freelancers. We've had a message from Jonna saying, Do you have networking events? I'm a lonely freelancer who needs to build her community for both sanity saving and job searching. Jonna will come to that. Um, and also how that initial idea has evolved one year on. We're talking co-working creativity community now with Rhea and Nikita Patel. They, are sisters, are the co-founders of the Bureau, co-working space, marking a year of business with their first branch in Gold and Diamond Park. News of the second coming your way in just a few minutes. Um, I wanted to ask you about how it's evolved in that year, because, you know, we come into these businesses, these initiatives, these programmes and think well this is what it's going to be and this is what it's going to be like forever and then people start to use the space use the business, the service and you're like oh actually I hadn't quite realised that that was you know, going to be in demand or something we thought was going to be essential actually isn't isn't that required um, Nikita how, how do you feel like the idea for the Bureau has, has evolved maybe in a surprising way to you over the last year?
3: So what's, uh, what we figured out right off the bat is that we needed to be flexible um, because, like you said, the, what we envisaged, you know, the, the ways in which people use the space are actually in some ways uh, quite different. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that surprised us was that, um, you know, the, the number of events that take place at the Bureau um, have been far beyond what we expected. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, companies coming in, having their corporate retreats, whether it's panel discussions, whether it's, you know, exhibitions and, you know, public ups for brands as well. So that's something we really didn't expect, which we've been surprised, uh,
1: you know, surprised about. And what about the membership options? Was that something that you kind of established from the beginning and maybe had to be more reactive in terms of the needs of, of people coming through the door?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, like Nikki said, from the beginning, we really wanted to be flexible because I think we live in an age where we
1: have a lot of commitment phobes in
2: society. <laughs> um, so okay, we maybe, have. This,
1: this is a city where people will book a concert ticket. On the day. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So we have everything from short term options to long term. So we have um, as low commitment as a one hour meeting room to one one day pass um, to like one year office leases. Mm-hmm. Um, so really the options are there. Um, and I think that's something we've maintained throughout and will continue to maintain as well.
1: We've had a message from Yonna saying, um, do you guys have networking events? I'm a lonely freelancer who needs to build her community for both sanity saving and job searching. Can can you help there?
2: Absolutely. So, uh, I very much resonate with this question because that's one of the reasons we created the Bureau to begin with. Um, I personally really felt the need for that community, especially a professional community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, that's exactly what we have at the Bureau. We have a whole host of personal and professional events. Um, We really believe in facilitated networking at the Bureau. So we have like... What what does that mean? I I can explain. We have (laughs) needs and lead sessions. Uh, We have speed dating sessions. Um, We have panels from like VC panels to startups. Really the range is there. Um, And on the personal front, we talk about women's health a lot um, and also uh, fundraising and and financial independence in women (laughs) as well.
1: I think, uh, as I said, I, I freelanced for a long time um, and in some ways loved it, in some ways found it incredibly lonely and ended up working from you know, a cafe in Sheckside Road with other freelance writers. And it wasn't that productive, but at least you had someone to bounce ideas off. And sometimes it was a case of, oh, I, you know, I've been offered this contract. I can't take it. How do, how do you fancy it? Because if you are sat at home at your desk, <laughs> you know, there there can be hours perhaps a whole day where you don't actually say anything to anyone else out loud um which is where why so many people got pets during during lockdown um nikki i wanted to ask you about some of the companies industries trends you've noticed in terms of the people coming through the door i mean a, a year on have you been able to kind of look at any patterns in terms of with the demographic this is resonating with
3: yes yeah, so um we're actually industry agnostic we've been Amazed to see the the broad range of industries we've been able to attract. Um, one thing I would say is that we attract a lot of freelancers as well as small businesses. So anything from like solo printers all the way to kind of seven to eight person businesses. And we have tech startups. We have um, events companies, um, uh, you know, holistic uh, e-commerce companies as well in that sense. Um, one thing that everyone kind of, you know, really appreciates as part of the Bureau is like a program that we have called Bureau Connect. So we literally have, you know, our community lead who is responsible for connecting different people at the Bureau, whether it's, okay, you two are, you know, working in the same industry, or, you know, you both have the same personal interests, perhaps, and she facilitates that connection, That's you know. That's
1: such a lovely thing to offer, because, I mean, when I saw that question from Yona, some people love networking. For a lot of people, it makes their blood run cold, and the thought of going into a space, even one that you're familiar with, And being there to make a potential friend or make Mm. a potential lead is really, really scary, really scary. So when you're talking about facilitating that, I think it's the case of, you know, a a gentle nudge or an introduction. Um, How have people responded to that, Nikki?
3: Everyone loves it and are are surprised by it in a positive way. You know, Mm. everyone really, I think, like you said, sometimes you just need someone to make that introduction, that connection. So it's not just awkward and cold calling someone in the space per se. So it's been um it's been
1: really positive in that sense. It's been so positive that we're looking at bureau number 2. Yeah, so initial branch, the OG is at Golden Diamond Park. Bureau 2. Is it going to be called Bureau 2? What are you calling it? It's We call it Bureau 2.0 between us, but
2: <laughs> it, it will be Bureau downtown, more of an urban location. Okay. Yeah, so we're super excited about it. The Golden, da- Golden Diamond Park location will always be our first baby, but we're super excited about this new location. So um, it's going to be located um, in a building downtown, um, exact location to be revealed soon. Mm. Uh, but we're really excited. Um, I think As you enter, you'll definitely feel like it's the Bureau. Um, It'll have many elements of the first one. Uh, But we have some really exciting new amenities. So we have a podcast room um, and an exciting cafe.
1: So lots to look forward to. We haven't talked about food, actually. Yeah. Because that's one of the reasons that freelancers leave the house is to go and eat. You've got Jones, the grocer there, kind of on site. Is that going to be continued to downtown? Are you branching out on the food front?
3: Yeah, um. can't, you can't say Kanye. <laughs> so we um, we hope to, to have the same, but to be determined
1: and to be announced uh, very soon. Mm. Uh, in terms of the podcast studio, because this is something a lot of people are looking out, you know, it, expanding their their brand and using podcasts as a branding exercise. You've seen an awful lot of it the last couple of years. Um, how, how does that work? Because a lot of people want to do the tech, but don't know how to do the tech. So do you have people that can facilitate in, on that side as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been a great learning from the previous bureau. Uh, we're going to have audio and video podcasting. Um, and as kind of an add on service, we're going to have a tech that can help educate. Mm. Um, and also a big part of it is also helping with um, editing afterwards. So there'll definitely be an educational component um, and a support component as well. So exciting. Mm. Hmm. This is where
1: I can start my podcast of things I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> between the hours of two and five. We look forward <laughs> with pleasure. We're joining us this afternoon, we are talking co-working community. Uh, we've got sisters and co-founders of the Bureau, Ria and Nikki Patel. Up next, we are going to be talking about being entrepreneurs in the city. Advice for anyone that's looking to start their own In 2024, I know we were just talking on the agenda early 75% of people looking to change jobs this year, but maybe it's a case of going solo. We are talking community co-working. We're with the sisters, the co-founders of the Bureau co-working space in Golden Diamond Park and Bureau 2.0 to be confirmed and announced formally very soon indeed. So keep an eye on their social media if you are going to be in the downtown area and looking for a space to connect, space to work. And I wanted to ask you, Ria and Nikita Patel, about working together as sisters now. I adore my brother. He's one of my favourite people on the planet. However, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it would work out very well. So you were talking earlier about the origin of you guys being around the dining table during COVID and recognising your different working styles. Now, to think about starting a business together, Ria, where did that start.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as we were m- mentioning earlier, we do come from an entrepreneurial family business background. So I think working together as siblings was a natural next step um, and something we always wanted. Um, I think the reason that it does work is because we have fundamentally very different skill sets and interests in the business. So It's actually a fun little exercise that we did prior to working together that our parents uh, made us sit down and do. So we had to independently in separate rooms um, write down all of our strengths um, and what we wanna do in the business and compare them. And I want to say only one or
1: two things oh, overlap. So really? that was kind
2: of the green light of going into business together. Come, come,
1: okay, I'm curious Nikita, in terms of what you're each bringing to the table, what you enjoy, you know, it's a case of I hate Excel. I love Excel, you know, <laughs> talk us through it. I love, I love
3: Excel. So <laughs> essentially, um, I would say that Ria is much more, you know, creative, much more client facing, amazing at marketing, at the customer journey. And I, I would say I prefer being behind the the scenes a little bit so everything that's considered non glamorous, like the legal, the HR, the finance, ops stuff. yeah, ops as well, processes, partnerships. So that's why I think it works, and I think. We, you need to have a really solid foundation as siblings first mm-hmm. um, because we spend so much time together. <laughs> so just uh, identifying that. And our mother, before we started working together, sat us down and said, you know, your relationship as sisters is precious and you should never compromise that. So even to date, whenever we get into like, you know, a silly argument, she'll remind us of that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> oh, That's
1: really lovely. And obviously the family has experience of it as well.
2: Absolutely. And, and just to add to that, I think something really important... Um, um, for any um, anyone working in business together, whether it be husband and wife or father son, mother daughter, anything, um, I think there's a lot of unlearning and relearning. So, for example, I'm the little sister; she's the older sister. So, just kind of unlearning those preconceptions you have um, mm-hmm. and reestablishing yourself as
1: um, business partners and, and co-founders, and so. as an individual in your in your own right, away from that exactly. family dynamic. That's super interesting. Uh, can I ask, from an entrepreneurial point of view, outside of your family, um, Nikita, who who inspires you when you when you look at you know maybe women in particular? Is there anyone whose career or trajectory that you think is wow? That is goals?
3: So, um, uh, what I find, you know, the, the journey that I've been following recently. Um, has actually been um, the CEO and founder of Bumble, um, so you know it's an amazing um, female-focused uh, dating app. And um, what I what I find really interesting about her is she started her entrepreneurial journey right out of college, which is similar to myself and. I think so. Recently, she's stepped down as um, you know, uh, operationally like CEO of the business, and is now chairwoman, and has hired a CEO. So I think what's amazing is seeing her build that business and put her ethics and values into the business, and mm-hmm. then step take a
1: step back when she felt that, okay, someone else can do this job better, Mm -hmm. you know? That's it, so surrounding yourself with good people as well. And, you know, how have you found that in terms of recruiting and building people that, you know, have the same values and ethos as you guys at the Bureau area? What's that process been like in terms of bringing your team together? Absolutely, so I think prior to even uh, the Bureau
2: existing and building our own team, Uh, I think we have had such amazing mentors um, who shared our vision from day one. Um, And I think having those people that re-energize you about the idea uh, and really support you um, and are also there to challenge you, I think Mm -hmm. is really, really important. So Mm -hmm. I think just establishing um, a series of, of mentors um, is super, super important. And Touchwood, we have such amazing um, team members. We have a very, very tight-knit team um, and all of them work super hard um, and we all work towards the same vision um, every single day. So that's honestly been an, an amazing journey.
1: What about people listening today who think, oh gosh you know I had the Sunday scaries going back to work on well Tuesday for a lot of people and think 2024 is going to be the year that I start to you know reconnect with a passion and maybe make money from it or start a side hustle and think about that as a as an income generator um you talked earlier about kind of validating that this was a great idea and I wondered if you had any advice Nikki for anyone that is starting to explore the idea of starting their own business
3: I would say that start small. Um, Like you said, start it as like a side hustle or like a passion project. And it's always important to like validate that idea. So whether it's, you know, holding a focus group like we did, or, you know, even just um, starting to sell your product at like a market or whatever it might be, um, getting that external validation is really important because what you might think people will like in the product or service is not necessarily what, you know, what is actually true. So um, definitely starting it small, validating it, um, and then if you feel that, you know, financially this is something that can sustain you as a full-time business, only then going for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And
2: I was—I would also add to that just starting as well. I think sometimes we think of these very, very big goals and they scare us. And I think just exploring them in little steps and little ways, mm-hmm. I think that's a great start as well.
1: I think that that's so true. You know, some people's goals for 2024 are huge. And sometimes I, I like a big, scary goal. You know, I like this, I'm going to quit my job and do something else. But there are these little incremental wins every single day, whether it is, you know, I'm going to reach out to a mentor or I'm going to contact someone on LinkedIn that I admire or I'm going to ask for a coffee with somebody whose idea I'd like or I'm going to think of a business name or, you know, all these all these things that you can look back and go, wow, actually, over the last month have maybe made some, some real headway. Can I ask about long-term goals? I'm, I'm just looking at both of you going, yeah, these girls want to go global. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully next year. Yeah. Um, we definitely want to, Um, the the plan was never to just have one bureau Um, we did feel that there was still demand in the UAE for you know another location but hopefully the third location will be um, you know regional as Mm -hmm. well so Um,
1: Jack's asking is it just for women you mentioned about being female focused Um, are men welcome at the bureau absolutely
2: so we say we're female focused but we're not female only Um, and we're female focused in the sense that a lot of our events are catered towards female entrepreneurs and women's health. And of course, we have a nursing room for new moms, but we have plenty and plenty of men in this space as well. So
1: all are welcome. Um, and in terms of advice, um, Anonymous Message got in touch asking about raising capital, which, you know, you guys aren't on here as business advisors as such. But when it comes to events, are, are they members only or are there some that are open to the general public? How does that work, Nikki?
3: It's really a mix. We have some members only events like the needs and leads accountability circles. But then a lot of our panels um, and,
1: you know, wellness events are open to the entire community and totally free of cost. Last question. We've had a few people saying where to find you online and in, in, you know, in real life. Uh, Ria, what is the best way of getting in touch with you guys at the Bureau, whether it's looking at memberships or partnerships, um, events and things like that?
2: Absolutely. So I would say our website and our social media. So uh, the Bureau thebureaubc.com
1: um, there you go thank you guys thank you so so much it's really lovely to have I, I know we get really excited here in Dubai about big brands whether there's you know a chef or you know a clothing store coming to the city but I think it's much more exciting to be building brands here and thinking about you know having these homegrown heroes and really answering the, the needs and the demands of the people that live here and you know as I said I'm confident this is something that is going to be you know just Growing stronger and stronger in the region and beyond. So, thank you so much. Um, the Bureau, if you want details, you can just send me the word work and I'll send you the link so you can catch up with the guys. As I said, Golden Diamond Park branch, open now. Downtown, I don't want to put because you know what Dubai is like. When roughly are we looking at Bureau 2 starting? September of this coming year. <laughs> okay, like it. Q3 slash 4, depending on paperwork. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> um, and thank you both so, so much. Thank happy you, Rose. Thank, thank you. The doctor is in the hot seat. Dr. Thomas Dawson has a passion for wellness centred around chiropractic care. More than 25 years of experience from health and happiness clinics, he is with us to answer any questions you might have. And you brought a bit of an accessory with you, Dr. Tom. How are you?
0: Hi, Helen. I'm well, thank you.
1: What's the kettlebell for?
0: <laughs> well, I've brought it to represent a head. Okay. So it's four kilograms and uh, it's the normal human head ranges between about... 2.5 kilograms and 5 kilograms. So I thought this was a good average and this is wool I had lying around the, the <laughs> office. So I thought it was the best one I had. I couldn't find a house brick, which is <laughs> unusual in Dubai because there's <laughs> bricks everywhere. Uh, but um, think of a human head being about, well, a house brick is two kilos. So think of uh, a human head being roughly two or more uh, house bricks, roughly two and a half house bricks, and uh, so when we when we use the kettlebell, what I do is I s- sometimes ask people to put it on their head, okay, and bend your head forward and bend it back, and they say that doesn't feel very heavy, and the reason is because your head is proportionately the heaviest part of your whole body, mm-hmm. so your body is conditioned to have all these huge muscles around your neck and s- and supporting and a, a, supporting and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so often we don't think of the impact that poor head position, which we call posture, is having on our health. So a lot of the research that is being done now, in, in, in fact, and this is why I thought it was relative, because it, in charge of University, physiotherapists and chiropractors are working together and doing research into what impact is is forward head posture or I'm, forward head position feeling, having on, feeling, on your health. So keep going. I'm yeah, feeling sorry. very
1: self-conscious about the position of my head and my shoulders and my back right now. I'm trying to sit up nice and straight. We're on Facebook Live as well, so feeling extra self-conscious. Um, and whether it's the work being done at Sharjah or work that you've seen in clinic and historically, what is the impact of having, I guess, what you define as poor posture and head position on our overall body, our you know pain receptors? Even the way we move around the world.
0: Well, that's good. You're saying pain receptors, great. So we're not. Um, it's devastating from a chiropractic point of view. So a long. So long-term forward head carriage has been shown to cause a problem with the movement of joints. It causes a problem with position of joints. It causes a problem with. The, um, ser- the sensory input back to the brain mm-hmm. about the position of your head. Uh, and, in fact, th- what this research is showing is it's more far-reaching than that, that it's also affecting the uh, way that our nervous system communicates and the way that we coordinate. Mm-hmm. Now, that then has other impacts, later, in, especially later in life. So as we age... We have, a, we have a general degeneration that occurs as we age, some faster than others. And when we degenerate as we age, if our head is too far forward, that will accelerate a lot of the degenerative then, uh, processes that are happening so in our like, nervous system.
1: So in nervous system, even things like cognitive function, things like that? Yeah, I mean, well,
0: that's probably a long bow to draw, um, but there's certainly some research which would, which would support that. I think that it, more than anything, we know pretty concretely now that there's an impact on coordination mm-hmm. there's an impact on athletic performance we we know that um, it's it's regardless of whether you have symptoms or you feel pain or you don't feel pain so it has it has clinical implications for people especially people with families where they have children so you know a relevant uh, topic might be text neck
1: that's exactly everybody's what everybody's been talking to ask about it right? About so and when I'm thinking, I'm thinking about kids, really, mm-hmm. who are over iPads, you know, phones, devices, you know, their switch or whatever. So w- I would imagine that this has probably accelerated the last couple of decades and maybe you'd see more. It wouldn't be called Technic then. But, you know, people who are at computers historically. Is it starting earlier?
0: Yes. Yeah, no doubt. I've got five kids and they sit. Over their little machines, you know, and you try to get them out. We've just had a, a nice holiday in in uh, Sri Lanka. We just got back, and it was great to see them not. See, you know, I, <laughs> I I I said we're only taking <laughs> one. We took three with us. We're only taking one of the Devices. the iPads mm-hmm. because I said I don't want. Them sitting and looking at that thing the whole time. I'm looking out the window at the scenery. Yeah, we did them like, so, oh, look,
1: it's your face. How lovely yeah. to see your face.
0: So it's this idea of you know restricting screen time is, mm-hmm. is healthy for the children for sure. When the head is too far forward and when they're in this forward head position, it has neurological impacts. It has emotional impacts as well. They have this... Uh, this uh, uh, we talk about frontal lobe wind-up where the children become more even emotionally um,
1: uh, volatile. Yeah, I see it with mine, agitated. Because of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. We've got Dr. Thomas Dawson today with us from Health and Happiness Clinics. I guess my next question is, is it possible to correct it you know if oh you, absolutely if yeah. you start to see this in yourself or indeed in your kids mm. is it a case of going to a doctor do you go straight to chiropractor, such as yourself Tom what, what do you do
0: what well, has I mean there are applications um, you can see physiotherapist chiropractor osteopath chiropractic is 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 traditionally the the profession probably that's done the most research into this mm. uh, and has documented that for instance um, we have a group called the CBP group which is involved in this research and the CBP group talks about um, they 've done studies where they they look at the correct curvature you should have in your spine, so we know that the curvature of the neck should be a full a graceful forward curve that 's the way we describe it mm-hmm. forty two degrees is the, is the is the curvature uh, now th- then we have a, a curvature that goes through our through our chest or our, our thoracic area, so we call that our, our, our thoracic spine. That spine, that curvature should go backwards. Mm-hmm. So our curvature in our neck should go forwards. Curvature in our back should go backwards, and then the curvature in our low back should go forwards. And then, as we when, when we're born and we, in our first sort of twelve years, in fact, we've even got separate bones in our pelvis, in our sacrum, and our and our coccyx, which is our tailbone. And those those bones uh, also have a, a curve, like in your chest. So we effectively have four curves. Mm-hmm in our spine. And if those curves can align if we look sagittally or from the side at the spine, we should know that those curves should line up correctly. Stack, There's stack, a certain stack. way they should stack up. And that means that we're using the least amount of energy mm-hmm. for the most be- for the most effect. Okay? So if our head's too far forward, we're then moving using much more energy to get the same uh, result i hope that makes sense it does to, make sense dr yeah. thomas
1: dawson with us today we are going to be going to the text line next if you've got any questions them already people asking for your details are happy to share those um and i'm curious about posture even further does dr tom find himself wanting to correct people in public and what is his take his philosophy on back cracking that's next We're live on Facebook with Dr. Thomas Dawson. He has been working in chiropractic care for more than 25 years. Joining us now from Health and Happiness Clinics. They've got three branches here in Dubai. And we've had a very quick assessment, which will continue during the news, Doctor. Um, but we've had a lot of people asking questions of you. We've been talking about the importance of posture. And I guess, you know, what our posture is trying to tell us. And do you Do you find a lot of people who've been living in discomfort and pain and thinking it's perfectly normal. What are some of the common complaints that you're seeing in clinic?
0: Yeah. Um, nearly 30 years now, actually. So <laughs> 30 years this year. Um, it's gone quickly. I think um, most people don't think pain is, is normal, uh, although it's normal for people to live with pain. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think most people are educated enough to know that, that pain is not a normal thing, that they, it's, an indica- it's an indication that something is wrong um and it's uh, uh, I believe what what we were talking about a little bit off there was um, it's great to talk about pain and, and the problems people have but I think a, a more interesting uh, topic is how can we prevent it and how can we um, improve the function of our spines mm-hmm. and improve the functions of our body so that we can enjoy a long life. Free of pain, yeah, and with a body that works well. Well,
1: this is the thing. There's a lot of chat about longevity right now, and I think you know everyone wants to live until they're 120. I don't want to live until I'm 120 if I'm in pain and I'm not functional. You know, it's about living, living well, and living, Mm. living long in in conjunction. So, with that in mind, with prevention of issues, with prevention of pain as a priority, what are some of the things that you'd love everyone listening today to be doing, trying, or indeed not doing?
0: We spoke uh, We spoke about it a, a bit. One would be to uh, start early, you know, start looking at your, your children's posture and some of their habits um, when they're young mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, quite young. Uh, you know, it's easy for me uh, as a chiropractor. I mean, I, I started um, looking at my children's posture in the spine pretty much from birth almost, you know, uh, but... Um, Start looking, take the, the children in. It doesn't mean you need some sort of long care program or anything like that. Usually, uh, you know, identifying um, in, the, in the very early years, make sure the hips are right. Make sure that they're, uh, they're developing because the way that our joints move uh, from, uh, from a young age also has quite a huge impact on how we develop uh, with our abilities to walk, mm-hmm. uh, our balance, um, and uh, our coordination so uh, you know start early and now for the teenagers you just got to watch what they're they're doing <laughs> you know and There's only so much <laughs> you can do uh, as I said I've got I've got two kids that are through the teenage years and and two that are, are entering them um, and uh, you know with so much technology nowadays and so many so much screen time and so much sitting down at school and so many so many hours of of your school and university. You you have to encourage them to have an active lifestyle, mm. keep their weight down. Yeah, um, keep watch their watch their nutrition. Uh, I I certainly include a chiropractic care program, not a chiropractic treatment program, a chiropractic care program. What's the, the same, Well the same way that we think of dental care. We don't think of dental treatment. Now some people need dental treatment. You know we spoke a little bit about the Invisalign and yeah. things like that. Right? That's dental treatment. But dental care is—you brush your teeth every day. You go and get yourself checked and make sure because you don't know if you've got a a, a, a cavity. Um,
1: but an expert a, a, eye until will until it's a
0: bad, right? Yeah. An, yeah. Until it's until it's um, already bad, and it's the same thing with your spine. You don't—you often don't know you've got a problem with your spine um, until something gets bad. And I, I can tell you, we we did a, a, um, a we looked into the demographic of our patients pretty carefully around about year two, and. Women, 48 years, is the average uh, age for the first visit to the chiropractor. A lot can happen in 48 years.
1: That's, that is much later than I was expecting. Mm. That's interesting because I don't think many people, much like marriage counseling, would go in terms of a preventative appointment. People get to mm. crisis point and go, now we need to bring in the expert. Um, with some of the issues that are coming into clinic, you've been in Dubai to six years now. Are there any kind of UA specific issues or is everything pretty much a global global problems that you're recognizing?
0: Well, COVID was a was a boom time for us. I, I mean, bet. we had we had six weeks of closure of our um, of our uh, healthcare uh, city practice. And uh, and then once we were able to open and see patients full time, my mm-hmm. goodness, it, the place it was uh, it was it was very very busy, and, this is and it really hasn't stopped. I no, mean, we're I'm still sure. very busy, but it, it it really after that occurred, so many people were at home, so many people were were leaning over their children uh, at, at being at home mm-hmm. and homeschooling them, um, being stuck, uh, and it was a reason to leave home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a reason to get out and escape. So,
1: so sitting on the sofas, you know, not, not good posture. for your spine. No, and okay. um, we've good. had a number of messages for you, Dr. Thomas Dawson, who's joining us from Health and Happiness. One is asking about insurance, which I think is a really interesting mm. point um, in terms of how feasible is it to be proactive in these things if it's not covered sure. by insurance. Do you think that's changed or is changing? She oh, said, hopefully,
0: it's not. Look, uh, if it's not covered by insurance, you have to pay. Yeah, uh, and I would say uh, the cost of chiropractic care in this country is a little higher than it is, say, in Australia, where I'm from, or um, in other countries that I've that I've covered. But there's reasons for that because doing business is not at the is not the um, uh, cheapest here mm-hmm. uh, in in some parts, uh, but um many the, the good thing about the UAE is that they really do support their workers because they insist that employers and I'm an employer uh, have um, that employees have insurance uh, and um, so they insist that the employers provide insurance for them or they should and uh, so the majority of our patients uh, we have um, we have six doctors uh, and we have uh, about 12 physiotherapists and and uh, we do have, um, uh, no, we don't do direct billing mm-hmm. in our office. We, we, we um, uh, do reimbursement. No, but we have time. five or six assistants that will help you through that okay. process. And, and it's very efficient. It works well.
1: Now, I, I, I felt a little bit, I don't say misled, but, you know, we're, we're talking about chiropractors. I was like, oh, great. Maybe he can crack my back on air. Dr. Thomas Dawson, you do not. No, you would not crack my back not on Not at all. Tell no, no, us no, no, no. why or indeed why not. Well,
0: I wasn't trying to be difficult. No, but, of course uh, not. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, like, it's but, because it's more important than that. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, if you're going to uh, have someone analyze your spine and, and you're going to have people, um, you know, give you a, a proper evaluation of what your condition might be, mm. there's a lot that goes into that, a full physical examination, um, a postural examination, uh, range of motion uh, testing, neurological testing, if necessary, orthopedic testing, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then uh, the patient, w- we've, I've always felt, I, I, I'm Australian, but I was educated in America. And, and uh, so I can't speak for other schools, but I was always taught that uh, you need to educate your patient about what is wrong with them before you start. And that is a really important – so anyone that thinks that they're coming to health and happiness for us, what I call the stop and pop back shop, <laughs> I don't do that. We don't do that. None of our doctors do. Uh, and you will get a full assessment. You will get a proper um, evaluation. And you will get a proper report of the findings that, that, we, that we discover. And, and uh, then we will uh, outline a program of care for you.
1: So responsible Responsible. I'd like to think so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I think there's
0: a lot of people doing that. It's not we're not exclusive in that at all.
1: We had a message going. How often should you have chiropractic care? I mean, we go to the dentist every six months. Mm. What about looking at our spine health in particular?
0: You have a really really bad set of teeth. You should go more than every six months. Same thing with your
1: spine. Makes sense. We are going to go to the text line next. Dr. Thomas Dawson in the studio this afternoon from Health and Happiness Clinic. He's answering questions on the text line we're going to be coming to, but we've got a special guest in the studio. Mark Lloyd, is it weird to be on the on that side of <laughs> yeah, the desk? I'm getting
0: a, a feeling of disorientation. It's odd, you know, isn't it? I'm, I'm I'm in the wrong place <laughs> at the wrong time. But anyway, it's great to be on your show. I think it's probably the first time the I've guested on. on your show. I
1: think it is. And you've
0: guested on ours on my, my, myself back and in the day, Back in the day, yeah, have. many times.
1: Now though, you're here as a, as a patient. <laughs> I am. Yeah. We've got Doctor Tom with us today, who has been working in chiropractic care for, well, he said, nearly thirty years. Um, now you've been over the decks you've been over a piano you've been here in the studio for, for years and years I've been years. leaning
0: forward you for have, probably 50 years so yeah.
1: if it's not too personal DJ Mark <laughs> Lloyd what's going on with you and your back
0: at the moment, it's not, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's posture, but I've also been told I have calcium deposits in my shoulder, which are super, super painful. Ooh. And I've had an injection for it, which cleared it up for a couple of months, but it's back and it's back big time. So I'm going to try and get that sorted out at the weekend. But, you know, posture's always been a bit of an issue. Uh, it's given me lower back problems throughout my life. And, uh, you know, I've always kind of contributed it to leaning over playing keyboards mm-hmm. and leaning into microphones.
1: All right. Now, a little on our assessment, Dr. Tom, if you put <laughs> your mic up for me. sir, tell us a little bit about what you would do if Mark Lloyd got into your treatment table.
0: Well, it wouldn't be just Mark, but really anyone who who came to one of our offices and any of, any of the doctors that work with me. Uh, the first thing we want to do is find out more about Your history, yeah. So find out what you know, how long it's been going on for, all the, what we call the eight parameters. How long? What's wrong? Where is it? You know, all (laughs) that stuff. Um, And uh, and then once we know that, then we can do a proper physical exam, and and we might need to get a physiotherapist, especially with shoulders. Um, You know, chiropractor, a spine therapist, and uh, spine specialist, and we also have um, other therapists who can help us with with things so we we really specialize in the spine we also are educated in adjusting the extremities which is your arms and legs and hands and feet mm-hmm. these things toes but we also have other other um physiotherapists who help us uh with with things as well so if necessary we would get them involved too uh and uh, you know people that have calcium deposits in their shoulders, that means that certain joints in their shoulders haven't been moving properly for a long time. Right. And when they haven't been moving properly for a long time, that's why you build up calcium deposits. So we call it degeneration.
1: So with the injections mm-hmm. that Mark had, um, mm-hmm. what would they have done and why would that affect Ana- have worn off?
0: Primarily analgesic. So analgesic meaning pain relieving. Mm-hmm. So they what they do is they, uh, cortisone injections will have an anti-inflammatory effect uh, and then they'll also have a, the, as a result of that, anti-infl- uh, that reduced inflammation, you'll have less pain.
1: And then there's the idea that. And it will
0: last for some time. So, usually, cortisone injections, uh, you know, anywhere between three and six months, you okay. can get quite a lot of relief. Some of the problems, and, and I'm, I don't want to, I'm not a, a, an orthopedist, um, but some of the problems that I've encountered with, um, with cortisone injections is that uh, they are very helpful to the patient initially. The problem uh, can be that if the uh, if the overall problem – if the reason why that, that problem is not addressed, mm-hmm. then that it does tend to return. And, and can, so then can you can need compact. another injection and yeah. these sorts of things. So uh, that doesn't make cortisone injections bad. It means that they just have limitations for what they can do on a therapeutic level. Now, but they can certainly make you feel better.
1: Forgive my ignorance. With the calcium deposits, is that something that can be reabsorbed by the body? Is it something that's removed under surgery? What – you know – Mark's, Mark's a young man. He's not going to be there anytime soon. We, we don't. Doesn't, we, look,
0: doesn't look too young. We, but do, we don't <laughs> put him in pain for decades and no, decades. Mark, what can we do? He looks like he's full of life. It didn't look too young, but uh, he. Uh, no, Mark. Um, I would say if you've got some calcium deposits around that part of your your joints there, uh, then there are surgical options for yeah, that. Yeah, but they're, they're, yeah. they're qu- that's quite a severe thing, and and we know that a, a lot of the times with the right kind of rehabilitation, uh, with the right uh, with the right. Uh, approach to the problem most of the time uh, you can get some good relief and get some good function back into your uh, into your shoulder and your mm. neck one thing with you that you know i'm, I'm observing you sitting here and I, I saw you coming into the office you do have what we were talking about before which is forward head carriage yeah and you were it already yourself with the, your job and yeah and you've been concerned about your posture for some time so uh, that would be the the uh, the realm of the chiropractor, the first thing we would do is look at, well, what is your posture doing to your spine? Mm-hmm. And if your head's too far forward, generally your shoulders start to rotate internally. When they rotate internally, meaning your arms rotate, your humerus or your arm bone rot- rotates internally, your shoulders tend to become more hunched for, for yep. A, yep. A, a good term. Um, and when that happens, uh, it restricts your range of movement of your shoulders. Uh, And if you're very active and you you know, I think you said you're roadie and all that sort of stuff or you were you're doing a lot of the sort of lifting things and these sort of you certainly it can contribute to restrictions in your in your movements trauma to those soft tissues like your tendons and your ligaments and things mm-hmm. and then that's when they start becoming calcified so can, is, can we get rid of calcium though or is it, uh, it going to be there? Period? yeah not really oh, no. yeah yeah but you can but but you can compensate for it yeah yeah, yeah. Mark, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna if it's really bad even. you can you can yeah. it's called debridement but it's it's a very severe approach and generally not necessary
1: so, Mark, he's been in our studio. You can go and him at, at the clinic. I'll, I'll hook you up. be
0: happy to <laughs> see you, Mark. In the meantime, we'll talk Diana Ross. Give you what? There. there you go. Exactly. We'll talk a bit about Diana Ross. Sit
1: up straight. The camera's always mm. on in the studio, Mark. I'll be keeping an eye on you. Make sure you, you're doing a good job of that. And I'll yeah. report back to your doctor as well. Mark, Great, Lord, I hope, thank that, you so I hope much. that was helpful, Mark. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. <laughs> We've got questions coming in on the text line for you, Dr. Thomas Wright. Message here, and we talked about this earlier, this kind of, slumping over at the top of the spine. I've developed what my dad has called a dowager's hump at the top of my spine. Mm. I'm trying to improve my posture. I've seen gadgets on the internet. Is there a cure? I've seen a lot of these, like these kind of straps that pull your shoulders back Mm. and things that you turn to. Is there a cure for the, what I say is one of the worst names. Let's address, I
0: was going to say, it's it's a favorite with the women when they come in, I'm talking about the dowager's hump. Um, it's it's it was named after the empress dowager of china but anyway well, i'm not going to go into that uh it's who apparently had awful posture so a dowager's hump is when you have too much curve or too much hunching in your shoulders and women tend to have more fat tissue around their shoulders and around their their chest area for obvious reasons and um the dowager's hump tends to grow and and there's an accumulation of fluid in the area and it comes along with Uh, A problem with the spine as well so can you can you make it go away we've had a lot of of success with reducing uh dowager's humps as long as they're not allowed to get too bad Mm -hmm. Now, if they get too bad you can't change it because there's degeneration in the joint and calcification like what mark was talking about there and when you start getting calcification and the discs start to wear away then it's too late so the best thing is, first of all, yes, you can make some changes. Absolutely. Um, the sooner you get started with it, the better. Do a proper evaluation mm-hmm. of the area. So it's not just visual. You know, I would recommend x-rays of the area, uh, a proper analysis of the, of the degree of the curvature, uh, and then you can make a proper evaluation okay. of the areas that you need to adjust or, or make corrections to as a chiropractor and the exercises you need. As well,
1: I always wish that you could go in and see someone like yourself for forty-five minutes, and then you've got, then you're done. But no, we often have homework to do. It's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, it
0: doesn't really. (laughs) And and, and, uh, it's one of the reasons that I have a bit of an aversion to some of these, some of these um, crack crack videos that come out because you have this impression that. Uh, the patients might have this impression that they come to the chiropractor and they get this magical – it's it's a bit like Hollywood, you know. The quick fix. Yeah, and it it really doesn't work that way. You can't have something that's that's happened over a period of -hmm. of a decade or, or more that is corrected in seconds. Seconds. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah.
1: Um, if you want doctors' details to send me the word spine on 4001, I've had a message from Isabel. We are talking about kids earlier. Um, she's saying, in growing children, what footwear is recommended for spine health? That's an interesting one. How would you feel about barefoot versus a, you know, thicker, I don't know. What, what's, what are your kids wearing?
0: There's no panacea. It's, it's what your child needs. I have one child that required orthotics because he had uh, very flat feet. Um, I have, most of my other children uh, have very good feet. Uh, the uh, walking around in barefoot is, is terrific uh, to um, to help the muscles in the, in the feet develop. Um, so a, a combination of all of those things. But if you suspect, if you start seeing things like, if you see the children walking, especially here in Dubai, if you see them walking in the sand, this is a, an easy one, and you see their footprint looks odd. You know, it doesn't look so much like a footprint, it looks more like a big, you know, like my brothers used to, like a big flat piece of meat, you know your child probably has a bit of a flat foot the issue. The ar- arch has dropped. Yeah, so, you know, get that looked at. Uh, okay. Podiatrists are great. Most chiropractors can give you a good idea uh, whether you need to see a podiatrist or, or whether it's something that you you, you um, can manage through exercise or through other, other, other ways um, or whether you need to do anything at all. Uh, so there's no panacea with that or no, no, no global fix, but look at your child's feet. If you notice their knees, uh, tend to move towards each other when they walk. If you notice, they tend to walk on their, on their toes. Mm -hmm. If you notice, they tend to walk on their heels, uh, too much. If they've got an odd gait, which means the, the style of their walk looks strange, get it looked at because it's not just going to have, uh, an effect now it'll, it'll, that effect will, will be amplified as they age.
1: Here's an interesting one from Marisol saying, hi both, Santa brought our son a scooter. However, I've since right. read a few comments online that scooters can create posture imbalance in the future due to using one leg for scooting. Someone online <laughs> okay. even said that chiropractors will have lots of work in the future due to so many using them. Has your doc noticed such a thing? <laughs> I see so many kids using them, it didn't even occur to me that they could be bad, but maybe I'm overthinking it.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're overthinking it a little <laughs> bit. Just these electric ones. They're, they're the ones I don't
1: like. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> <laughs> I'm <them> the same. <laughs>
0: they just uh, someone's, these kids are trying to put the, the themselves under my front wheel sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh no, the the ones where they push, just get them to push both sides. You know, if you if you if you've got them if they've got a nice scooter and they're enjoying it, the kids have had scooters for Decade, dec- yeah, hundreds of years, probably. Right. Yeah, get them to push both sides. Um, don't have, don't do, do it just one sided. I think that's probably a good idea. But I think they're fine; they're harmless as long as you don't crash it.
1: Now, just to come back to what we started with, with you and your kettlebell, four kilos of head yes. weight in front of us. Message here saying something that the good doctor talked about has really resonated with me: head hunching forward. I think I have decent posture overall, but yes, my head does hunch forward, especially when driving. How do you address that? Now, producer Chloe came in and said earlier, you know. We're here in the booth and Gentsy as well. Every time we're talking about posture, we're, and I've been doing it, we're all sitting up, you know, chin up, shoulders back, and for a few seconds we're golden. And then we stop thinking about it and we go back to our old slumpy, slouchy ways. Um, for this listener, and indeed anyone that's perhaps listening to this and going, "Oh, that is me. I am. My head is definitely going forward." What would your top bit of advice be, sir?
0: See, see someone about it.
1: <laughs> see a chiropractor.
0: Um, see a chiropractor, definitely. A, and, and not just see a chiropractor, but also, you know, depending on how bad it is, you, you will need to do some exercise. You know, the, you, you asked a question before, which I didn't answer, which I, I'd like to, if, you, if I can, Helen, about the, uh, the braces. Mm-hmm. Really, those braces, by moving your shoulders back, if you've already got a problem with your neck... It's going to send your head further forward. It's not going to improve. So for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. And your head, the the nerves underneath your skull, the ones directly underneath your skull, uh, they're the highest number in the body to do with posture for a good reason because your head weighs so much more than your neck. Mm -hmm. So your head needs to sit back further in most cases for most people. So you need to do something about that. It's not just a case of, oh, you know, go and see Pilates. Pilates is great. It's fine. But it, it's not going to correct something that's that's been going on for so long. It, it needs some, some uh, correct uh, attention.
1: It's not just a case of clicking buy on Instagram once you see someone wearing those those straps. A message Correct, here saying, I'm not yeah. sure we've discussed it. We've only got 30 seconds left. It's okay. But um, what about those belts that pull your shoulders back? Maybe that's the strap. That's what that I'm talking, talking about. about. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, no, yeah. Keep a, going.
1: That's it. It's yeah, a, that
0: was it. So we had the dowager's hump. What was the other one?
1: <laughs> we've, had, we've had belts, we've had we've had, we've had it all. We've had, <laughs> we've had Mark Lloyd on. It has been a busy hour. We've run out of time. We haven't run out of questions. We'd love to have you back, uh, Dr. Dawson, if you don't mind. In the meantime, though, with your permission, can I share your details of you and the guys at the Health and Happiness Clinics so people want to get in touch? Sure. Amazing. Wishing you and the team a very happy and healthy 2024. You're listening to
4: Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer.
0: With ProPlan, where the number
3: one ingredient is always high quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken.
4: This is your
1: chance to get advice, share the love of your pet, tell me how they came into your life, what they're called. This is, of course, your chance to get some expert advice and also win a massive prize from ProPlan. Three months supply of food, there's some treats, some toys, supplements and more. And not one but two animal lovers in the studio this afternoon. Yvonne Sundin with us from Doggy Adventures in Dubai and, from its ginger's way, Mena Lopez, behaviourist and all-round expert when it comes to embracing our dogs' quirks and working with them if things are getting a bit stressful. Um, They are... Also collaborating on Leash Explorer, we're going to get people out and about in the UAE with their friends of the furry kind. Yvonne um, tell us before we get onto Leash Explorer about why you wanted to start Doggy Adventures in Dubai. It's such a wonderful and, I guess, feel-good platform for knowing where our pets are welcome in Dubai. Where did that idea come from?
4: Well, basically, when I had adopted my dog in the Netherlands in Europe, you know, I I took her out with me wherever I went, and she she travelled you know, with me. I went on vacation with her. And, you know, in, in Europe, that's quite easy to do. And uh, we moved here. Obviously, she came with me and uh, and I just basically had the same lifestyle. And, mm. you know, we saw there were some difficulties here and there, especially with dog owners not knowing where to go and places that were not dog friendly. So I thought, you know what, let's change that. Let's put them all in one place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and mana can I ask you, in
1: terms of when, whether it's socializing a puppy or or indeed working with animals, because we don't want our dogs just to be stuck at home all day. Why is getting out and about really good for their mental and and physical development?
5: Uh, As you said, it's good for enrichment. It keeps their mind busy with different kinds of stimulations, new sounds, new smells. So the more we take our dogs out and about, the better we don't even realize but just going on a car ride it gives so much mental enrichment to our dogs and it is proof that giving mental enrichment, it helps our dogs live longer because it keeps them busy. Oh.
1: Oh, love that. You guys are taking it a step further. You've been working together behind the scenes for a while now, and now we can finally talk about it. Yeah, Leash Explorer, Yvonne, what's it all about? What's it, What's the aim, and I guess, what's your mission?
4: Well, Leash Explorer is basically an adventure for dog owners in the UAE. So it's an, it's an activation. We're coming back now for the second season, where you get to explore the beauty of the UAE together with your dog. Uh, you go to beautiful places that you maybe didn't know we're dog friendly you're gonna do fun activities together with your dog but it's all a surprise so we can't tell you exactly where you'll (gasps) be going to can you tell us
1: where last season was mana where 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 were people going last time (laughs) uh
5: last time so the whole idea is people get out of dubai and actually Go all across the seven Emirates and collect activities and memories and badges. So last time they went all over from Umal to um, Jebel Jays for Ras Al yeah. Kema,
1: Abu Dhabi. So the idea is just getting people out. Make memories. So with Leash Explorer, Yvonne, if, if someone's like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to get involved. It's not a platform as such. It's kind of a, a pack. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just tell us about the process of, of getting involved and indeed even the time frame and how it works.
4: Well, it's it's very simple. If you're that adventurous dog owner, you just go to the Leash Explorer website, buy yourself a ticket, wait until you can pick up the starter pack and let two months of fun begin. Ooh, I love. I
1: wish we were on Facebook Live because you could see little mischievous faces in the studio here who are like, they've clearly had a lot of fun creating this. A so,
4: lot, yeah. Um,
1: and a, aside from that, you know, I feel like we're seeing Dubai becoming more and more dog-friendly over the last few months and certainly years. Um, When, you know, in terms of the content that you're putting out there, encouraging people to go to, you know, the cafes and restaurants and hotels as well, where are some of their favourites and indeed some of your favourites on the cafe front?
4: I have a lot of favorites, to be very honest, and especially the ones that I've been working with to actually make dog friendly are always, you know, they have a little special place I in bet. my heart, like, I would well, say. We can give people shout outs. Uh, we can.
1: Okay. No pressure. <laughs> no, no.
4: I, I really don't have a, a lot of favorites, to be very honest. Like I, I love La Nena uh, also because they're indoor dog friendly. Uh, I think that's a really beautiful space. But also places like Daughter and Dad, for example, is just really amazing if you're dog owner. To sit there and it's lush and green and have a nice cup of coffee. Yeah, there. Nowadays, there's so many uh, places that are willing to become dog friendly, mm-hmm. and I think that just makes it all so much better and makes me really enthusiastic. Of you know, keep. Keep on going. What we're doing with Doggy Adventures, oh, yeah. Good. It's Doggy Adventures in Dubai on Instagram. That anyone wants to check it
1: out. If you're on a bit of a mission this year to integrate your dog into your social life, and I think it is wonderful to see just how much this is opening up. We went to the Dubai Islands Dog Beach at the weekend, New, yes. year, New Year's Eve. Took our two down because we've spoken about this before. Our old boy is in. I think he's in good health. On, on site but I think there's a lot more going on so we're trying to make, make some great memories with him while he's around Good. so we went to the beach he loves the water he absolutely loves it so he was having a great old time there was an unexpected guest at the beach I will <laughs> give you 10 points if you can tell me who or what turned up at the Dubai Islands beach oh, at the weekend
4: was there someone with their cat yes <laughs> yes there was yeah this happens all the time I could not not only there not eyes. only on that beach but in general
1: I was absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah. I honestly was. I know. (laughs) I looked over and I was like, are you, I I don't mind, I can't name and shame them, but I looked at them and was like, are you off your rocker? Why would you bring a fluffy ginger cat to a dog beach?
4: The thing is, and I get it, a lot of people... I don't. No, I, no, 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 okay. <laughs> I don't. Uh, look, from, from my point of view, I would always advise against it. I would always say cat owners, I have two cats. I love cats. I get a lot of comments on social media from people saying like, why don't you promote you know, going out with your cats? Why don't you like cats? I'm like, I have two cats. Mm-hmm. I love cats. Uh, but I would strongly advise against it for a few reasons. One... Cats are usually not as social as dogs are. They might not show it, but usually they are very uh, anxious. They have a lot of fear, but they don't know how to show it. So you might not see it with your cat. So that's one. Second of all, not all the dogs are used to cats. So you might get a conflict with a dog that is like, what is this? And I want to attack it, yeah. play with it, whatever it is. And that might cause a big, big conflict uh, wherever you go. So for all the cat owners in the UAE, we love you, but... You don't know, take them to the dog don't beach. Don't take them out because to dog-friendly places. Im-
1: immediately, a few of the dogs were like, on the, on yeah. the scent, I'm going to go over and investigate that. And to these cat owners and there were six of them they were clearly not dog people because they started getting hysterical that the dogs were approaching them yeah. it's like this is not gonna That's end well get. guys yeah. this is not this isn't this is just not gonna end well couldn't believe my eyes and I was like I don't want to put my dog in this situation no. where they could ultimately do something that you know. They
4: might become reactive, exactly. even though they could be the most amazing dogs and well behaved. But because they're not used to the situation, and obviously Mena can say a lot more about that. But like, mm-hmm. if they're not used to that typical like situation of being around cats, then you know it might cause an, an instinct or a reaction with your yeah. dog that you're not even. Ready for that, you don't know that's something I never thought I'd have to say on the radio.
1: Yeah, don't take your cat to the dog beach. That <laughs> <laughs> cat was not enjoying itself either, it did no. not want to be there. Most cats, they don't enjoy no. it. We are in conversation this afternoon with Yvonne from Dog Adventures in Dubai. Men Lopez with us today from Ginger's Way. They have just launched Leash Explorer season two. Um, what's the website for anyone who wants to go and get out and about in dog friendly, dog welcoming Emirates areas, activities? We can send people in the right direction, Yvonne.
4: Well, Doggy Adventures has their directories on the Doggy Adventures website and Leash Explorer is just leashexplorer.ae. There
1: you go. You want to send me the word link, I will send you the link. Up next, we are going to go to the text line. We've got questions about behaviour. We've had bad sleeping. Anissa saying, if you're staying at a hotel, dogs allowed, is it okay to let your dog sit on the public furniture, such as a sofa in reception? I have no idea. Clean to get the guy's take on that. 4001, if you've got a question, or indeed you just want to send me a photo, Of your furry friend, that will get you in the draw to win that incredible prize. Three month supply of ProPlan pet food.
4: This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer.
1: With ProPlan, groundbreaking
0: science, life-changing nutrition.
1: We are helping you out with your dog's behaviour and indeed exploring the UAE this afternoon with Mena Lopez from Ginger's Way. And we've also got Avon Senden from Doggy Adventures in Dubai. A number of you asking for the link for Leash Explorer. This is an activity pack, some adventures for you to go on with your fairy friend. And what sounds like all around the UAE. So places to go, things to do, make some memories with your doggo. Um Questions coming in. I've had them on social media. I've had them on the text line as well. Um, Mena, Stacey sounds um, desperate slash exhausted because Petey, one-year-old rescue, never been a great sleeper, occasionally woke at night, but now it's multiple times a night and we're shattered. Tried getting him to settle downstairs when we got him three months ago, but after many stressful nights and he's now in a bed in our room um, and is generally pretty good there. However, this cannot continue. When he's out the room, he wants to come in and check on me. We'll scratch at the door. Any advice?
5: Um, Sometimes you just need to compromise and you need to meet the dog uh, at a midterm. So if one year, if the dog is with them for three months, is that what I understand? It's not a lot of time for the dog. For us, we think, oh my God, three months is such a long time. The dog should have been settled uh, by now. Actually, it's only after three months that they start settling and they start unpacking all the baggage that they come with, Mm -hmm. uh, especially rescue dogs. So um, if he's fine, on a bed in on his own bed on the bedroom why change that i understand that a lot of people they don't like the dogs on their bed on their beds fair enough but if the dog is staying on their on his own bed and if he sleeps through the night i'll say just maybe continue to do that and then Later, when things are a little bit better, routines are more settled, uh, P.D. is more settled into the house. Then if that's something that you really want, that it's taken out of the bedroom, you try again then. Uh, also, dogs don't like the closed doors. So if she really wants to do that now, what she can try to do is just put a baby gate on the bedroom. So at least the dog can see it. Uh, and But it's out of reach. But do meet the dog half
1: Yeah. term. I like that. Um We were just talking earlier about getting out and about, and Von sharing some kind of cafes and places to go. We're seeing more and more pet-friendly hotels, from J A Hatter Fort to W here in Dubai. And this has been in touch saying, if you are staying at a pet-friendly hotel where dogs are allowed, is it okay to let your dog sit on the public furniture, such as a sofa in reception? What do you reckon, Von? I think that's fair game or were other people there with the lint rollers trying to get your dog hair off the back of their fancy dress
4: (laughs) well it really depends i mean we are very grateful obviously for the uae to become more dog friendly every single day and we also have to keep in mind that some people might not like dogs as much as we do as Mm -hmm. dog owners um so my advice is some places are absolutely fine with it but just double check just ask someone who works there is it OK if I let my dog sit here on the couch or on the chair with me? Um, and there you have your answer. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Anise. Good question, though.
1: I think we're all kind of figuring it out in terms of, you know, being around each other. And as you say, there are some people who might have booked into that hotel who don't want to be around animals. I think some do, do it very well in terms of having pet friendly rooms that are, you know, perhaps separated or in different parts of the hotel. Um, I knew we'd get a poo question. I'm sorry, Manner. This one's for you. Um, come through from Tash on social media saying, again, things I never thought I'd say on radio. My dog loves eating his poo. Why? And three question marks and three whys. <laughs>
5: um, it could be so many issues. It could be that while the dog was being potty trained, he was punished uh, by pooping. And then now the dog is trying to hid all the evidence. It could be that there's a problem with nutrition. So a lot of the times when our dogs eat uh, their own poop means that some problems with nutrition so you can try to change the food um, it could be so many reasons so you just you do need to uh, figure out there's lots of supplements that you can uh, buy uh, natural supplements that you can
1: get to your dog but it could be one of the two these two reasons that's the main ones. Could be a vet check to see if there's anything medical going yeah. on Eliminate that first. Alright all the best we have got in the studio we have got Avon and we have got Mena. if you've got any questions for the guys get in touch This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer.
0: With ProPlan.
1: This is your chance to get the answers, the advice that you need um, as we talk all things animal. From Ginger's Way, Mena Lopez with us today, dog behaviourist. And from Doggy Adventures in Dubai, Yvonne Sandin. They have just launched season two of Leash Explorers, getting you out and about across the UAE, making memories, activities, places to go that are truly uh, welcoming to our doggos 4001 is the sms you've got the app if you prefer the whatsapp is where you can send your photos and thank you so much we've had humphrey from thomas being sent in lovely to have uh compliments of the season from coco and tony and as i said dave and maggie sending in their pics as well um all of this um of course puts you in the draw to win a three-month supply of pro plant pet food To the text line we go. And I know a lot of your work, Mana, involves pooing and chewing. Um, We've had a question here about the poop. Um, Message from Jawad saying, Our daughter has a 10/11 month old, I hope I'm saying this right, lapse, apso? Yeah, Yvonne, you're nodding. Yeah, okay. All good. You're good. I'm good, okay. (laughs) It's a mixed female pup. During the weekdays when she's staying with her mum, they started to use diapers and a playpen to restrict her pooping and peeing. But when she's at my place at the weekend, it is open season. Upstairs, downstairs, feels like I spend those 48 hours only clearing dog poo and pee. How do we toilet train in a manner that's both consistent and sustainable? Whether it is a puppy puppy, you know, that's just come into someone's home at a few months old, or a 10, 11-month-old, or indeed a rescue that might not have been adequately toilet-trained. Would you mind talking us to you a little bit about the basics of toilet training, Mana?
5: It's very easy, actually. It's one of the easiest things to do. It just takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of consistency. Consistency is truly the... and discipline is the, the key. Uh, don't use diapers because that... it's just... Um, pretending that you're training a dog, then you think the dog is actually toilet trained and then you take the diapers and there is no um, actually holding. Also now in winter, what happens a lot is because the windows are always open for the garden, we keep the windows completely open so the dog has free access to the garden all day and there is no accidents because the house is open. Mm -hmm. Summer comes, we actually need to close those doors and it keeps all of the accidents starting happening because the dog never learned how to hold. So potty training is start... For example, around every two hours, taking the dog out at the designated area where they wanted to do it, or either the garden, a section of the garden, or outside, reward the dog for doing it on the correct place, and we'd reward it's a little treat as soon as the dog is done, and keep limited the space of the house. So you can't expect, especially a puppy, to be upstairs and realize that, oh my God, I need to go pee, and walk all the way downstairs to the designated area. So limited the space, and then... The gold rule is after one week of no accidents, you make a change, or either you give more space to the puppy, or either you make the schedule further for one hour.
1: How do you feel about cue um, words like, you know, go pee pee, or we said be quick to our dog when we were back in the UK? Does that make any difference?
5: You can say it uh, by mistake. I would say I start doing that with Ginger, actually, my dog. So, uh, for example, this morning, before we went for the scouting of Leash Explorer, I wanted her to just do a quick pee because we're going in the car for a couple of hours. So I just told like, OK, just go pee quickly. And she did, did, a, did a quick little pee. So it can be convenient, mm-hmm. uh, not for all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, dogs don't, are not machines. They don't need to pee on <laughs> command, but uh, it can be convenient. So every time they're doing it, you can just say
1: the word and then it can become the command. So to this listener, to the, the 10, 11 month old who's, it sounds quite confusing because in different spaces and places, there's different kind of rules as, yes. as such. How would you approach this if you were going to come into this it's, home?
5: Everyone follows the same schedule. So dog or the playpen is a good idea if the dog is comfortable with the playpen. Otherwise, you can use a playpen to block area of the house, so almost use it as a baby gate. Um, don't, as I said, do not use diapers and every two hours stay to take the dog on the area that they want to do it and be consistency on everywhere, either if it's a friend's house, even if it's uh, the, fam- the other family, whatever, it's you need to keep the schedule. You need to make a promise to your dog that is every two hours I'll take you outside and you're going to get a treat. So mm-hmm. hold everything you have because you're going to get a treat.
1: Okay. Man Lopez with us today from Ginger's Way. If you want any questions on the behavioral front, let me know. Um, I don't know where to start or indeed end with this message. No name on it saying, why does our dog hate my husband? She barks <laughs> at him every single day for the last one and a half years.
4: Yeah, you want my input?
1: Yeah, go on. Yeah,
4: get rid of the husband.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Get more dogs. <laughs> <laughs> more space for dogs. Yeah. <laughs> no. Why could this be?
5: Um, it could be for a lot of reasons. Uh, most probably what we see here in Dubai is just a matter of poor socialization towards men or uh, just poor uh, memories towards men as mm-hmm. well. A lot of the dogs that are born here um, in the UAE, they're born in labor camps. And even if they were not mistreated, a lot of the times they're actually not mistreated, but they associate men with a very sad time of their yeah, life. Or a fearful environment. Exactly, a, fear, a fearful environment. They were born in that. Uh, and again, most of the times, they were, nothing actually happens. The men are actually feeding them and, and trying to call for help. But it was they just associate men with a very stressful time of their life. And it's a core memory, so it's there. So it fearful behavior doesn't go away just because you want. There's a lot of behavior modification that needs to
1: be done. Okay. We had this yesterday, actually, with our dog, Lucy, and she's a rescue. We were her third home when she was, about six, she was about six months old when she came to us. And to our knowledge, she wasn't mistreated, but it was obviously quite an unstable environment. She hates the gardener with mm. like an absolute mm. passion. And then yesterday, there were some guys on our roof who were doing some wiring, I think. And it's like she wants blood. Like She would rip their throats out if she got the opportunity. And she is the soppiest sausage you can imagine any other time. And I've often worried about should we give the gardener some treats to you know, create some positive associations with him? Is this just a lost cause and we just try and keep her away from anything that might trigger her? What do you think? It's
5: never a lost cause. There's always something that you can do to make your, life's, your, your life and your dog's life a little bit better and a little bit less stressful because it is very stressful to have people coming to your house and you see your dog in that situation that, as you said, they're coming for blood because they're so stressed, they're so fearful. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving the treats to the gardener might be Level 10, okay. level one is just be next to you if necessary on the lead at a safe space. So safe enough that your dog is comfortable, like, OK, it's far away. I can do this. We're fine. And associated with treats. So mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of people start with what you're saying, that is give the treats to the person that the dog is afraid. And then the dog, if he really wants a treat, just takes a treat and then realize like, oh, my God, I'm too close to this thing. And now I'm just going to panic. And there's a lot of bites that happen that. So mm-hmm. go back a few steps. The, okay. f- the first step is just be around the thing at a happy distance and get lots of
1: yummy sausages. And try and control my own kind of anxiety. Yes, 100%. It. Alright, okay. <laughs> makes sense. Um, Michelle's been in touch on social media saying, Hi Helen, why does my dog cry when I give her a bone to chew on? Thank you. We've just been talking about treats. I don't know if um, Michelle means like a bone as in like an animal bone or if it's like a bone toy there's a
5: lot of questions to ask regarding that uh it could be because she can't get it she doesn't understand what to do with it it's too complicated a lot of times when we give uh, enrichment puzzles to dogs that are too complicated the dog cries like i don't really know what to do and they get frustrated so it could be that it's too big uh there's so many questions that come Mm
1: -hmm. from that so we are able to help i will message back but i also think it's a good time to talk about safe and unsafe Dog treats mm. and bones, if it is a kind of traditional bone that we think about, you know, like, you know, oh, we we, we cooked a, you know, beef rib. We're going to give that. No. no,
5: no, no, never cooked bones, never cooked bones and always go for supernatural bones that you can. There's not a lot of ingredients and you can identify the body part and the less ingredients regarding bones are better.
1: Can we talk about biting, nibbling? Yeah. Um, when we got... Jarvis, who's now ten and a half, nothing was safe in the house. He ate flip flops, sunglasses. I think a Kindle might have fallen prey to his little doggy jaws. And we've had a message here um, from T saying, "Hi everyone, we've got a seven-week-old crocodile." (laughs) <laughs> um, Cocker Spaniel who is teething so much at the minute he's lost a few teeth I can see his premolars are starting to come out I know all puppies bite um, and that Cocker Spaniels are known for being particularly mouthy as puppies but we've noticed he only ever seems to bite me and not my husband <laughs> Usually he'll hang off my sleeve, bite my ankles, sometimes jumps up to nibble my thighs, will launch himself on the sofa at me. I've tried distracting him with chew toys, giving him puzzles to mentally stimulate him, giving him frozen carrots or celery, frozen ripped up tea towels tied into a knot. Uh, It doesn't work. Yelping makes him more excited, so I cross my arms and ignore him, but I can't help but move when he's drawing blood out of my legs. Do you have any theories on why this might be happening and any tips or tricks to help it? A crocodile, 17-week-old. Oh, tea.
5: Uh, dogs tend to be more playful with the person in the house that they they tend to be more playful. So normally if there is a kid in the house, it's always the youngest kid that gets to continue to be beaten and <laughs> by the puppy because they just see the smaller kid as the puppy. So in this situation, it could be because us women, we giggle more, we, we scream more, our voice is already by itself, a little bit more high pitch, so that makes the dog very excited already. Um, everything that she's doing is correct. Um, instead of the... And you always try to yelp, and but some puppies, when we do yelp and we say the little, ow, sound, it just tweets, twists something on their little mind and they do it worse. Uh, the best thing to do if that's the situation, just stand up and walk away. Um, so... Cross your arms, yes, but just walk away for a couple of seconds. So the puppy really gets the idea that when I bite too harsh, mommy gets away from me. Mm. I don't want mommy to get away from me. I want mommy to be next to me. So I'm going next time to bite a little bit uh, calmer and as soon as possible, socialize this dog with lots of different dogs. So he really gets the idea.
1: Is it an age and stage thing? She's just saying they're lost, losing a few teeth. You know, can that be part of just... It
5: is, but it can. It, if we don't fix it yeah. now, it can continue okay. 100%. If the dog is not properly socialized and he doesn't learn what we call bite inhibition, uh, he can never completely learn bite inhibition and just keeps learning to use us as a chew toy and all of that. So it is important to... So
1: safe socialization, what do you tend to recommend, whether it is, you know, daycare or doggy play dates or I I don't know, you know, to this, you know, 17 week old when they're ready to go out and about, where should they be going? As
5: soon as they are cleared by the vet and okay to be socialized with other dogs, I uh, tell people to take them to um, daycares uh, that are tested by by me and uh, that I know they're good um, so they can socialize with lots of different types of dogs. Um, they can socialize with dog friends if they know the dog friends are okay with puppies. Ginger, for example, cannot stand a puppy. Uh, she's too old
1: for that. that really that. annoying.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Super <laughs> annoying. So she doesn't have any patience. So it's they just need to learn lots of different personalities. Um, if they have an older dog and that is too nice to the puppy. The puppy will learn that it's okay to be a bully. It's okay to push a little bit further. So that's why it's important. Even if they care, it's not a, necess- a necessity for the family because they don't really need it. Mm-hmm. Um, just for this first couple of months, just to get all of that
1: Lots of body language. They learn everything that they need to learn. Okay, hope that helps. Last question. This is from Sunny um, saying, I feel like this is a bit of a silly question, but here goes. We've got a small dog, usually gets walked for half an hour twice a day. We've got guests visiting us now with their puppy and the two dogs have been playing nonstop. Our dog is tired out and now refusing to walk. Should I not force the issue as long as he has access to the garden for the toilet, feeling guilty that he's going without exercise?
5: Um... It, you don't need to feel guilty if your dog is tired doesn't want to go on a walk, just let be, have the dog be at home. Uh, or you can just take him on just a little, very short little walkie. Or if you have a garden, just go to the garden. Mm. So the walks are for the dog. If the dog doesn't want to go, it means that he's exhausted, so no need to push it. Okay,
1: That's a great question. Thank you, Sonny. Master Sia is saying, thank you for all the tips on puppy behavior. I'm going to try them on my four-year-old humans. I think they will work. Mm. There are some very close comparisons. Honestly having dogs definitely got us ready for having kids yeah. early mornings coming back from brunch on times so, you know, it definitely helps um lastly guys um a quick shout out to leash explorers one more time and um, would you mind for anyone that's just tuned in of on re-explaining the concept and how people can get involved and out and about in this beautiful weather with their beautiful pooches
4: Leash Explorer, it's really just you know exploring the beauty of the UAE together with your dog, doing fun activities, going to amazing dog friendly places in each and every single emirate. Um, you can buy a ticket online, and once you have your starter pack, you'll be waiting for two months of endless fun together with your dog.
1: Ah, oh, so this is February and March exploring. The UAE in a fun and challenging way, getting out and about, and you can do it on your own time frame.
4: Yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever you have your day off, if you have an afternoon, uh, you can plan in all the activities as per your convenience. Brilliant. It's
1: leashexplorer.ae, and man, for anyone that wants your details, maybe need some one-on-one time, um, or indeed advice what's the best way of finding you online and in real life uh instagram or on the website it's ginger's way it's ginger's way you can send me the word link i'd be happy to send you those details thank you guys really appreciate it get out and about enjoy this gorgeous weather with your lovely lovely dogs and uh yeah i might message you privately man about (laughs) so we haven't haven't got a murder on our hands with our with our very own crocodile